Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to open up God's Word with you. Uh, today's lyric that changes, that changes the world is Psalm 116. It'd be great if you could uh, have a Bible open, one that you brought along, or uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Again, at the table and afternoon tea afterwards, uh, come see us to grab a Bible. If you didn't happen to bring yours today, or, or don't have one, uh, thank you. And would like to uh, follow along, then please just uh, ask the person next to you uh, to kind of share their Bible with you. I'm sure they'd be happy to do that. Well, to start with, I thought we'd spend a little time thinking about paid leafleters and charity volunteers. Now, paid leafleters. Paid leafleters first. You know, they're the kind of people who stand on busy street corners or perhaps. Uh, as I discovered on Tuesday at the, the Wentworth footbridge, handing out leaflets for money. Um, I got this one on, on Tuesday last night. Did anyone else get this last night? This be some sort of, I'm not sure what it is actually, uh, some dance party or something happening at the Gaelic. Anyway, if you want to be interested, you can grab that off me afterwards. <laughs> uh, but paid leaflets, that's what it is. They hand out flyers for money. Uh, things like, not just dance parties, but you know, closing down zones, 90% off safari suits. <laughs> uh, or an opening offer for a pub, $5 steaks with any drink purchase. Or the one that always keeps coming up on, on television too, Persian carpets. <laughs> Half price. Really, uh, I've never met anyone who's bought a Persian carpet at full price. <laughs> You have to be pretty silly to do that. And then when I was an undergrad uh, here in Sydney Uni, um, a little while ago, it's more than 10 years now, I'm you know, just processing that a little bit, but it was, it was last century when I was a student here. Uh, one leaflet I often get was for uh, Mama's Kitchen. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still around anymore, but it was a chain of very cheap Italian restaurants. There used to be one down at Broadway. It's now turned into a yum cha place, I think. A sign of the times, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, it was a very cheap Italian restaurant. Uh, $3.50 pizza or pasta, actually. Yeah, I know, you just can't get a meal for that, that sort of money uh, anymore these days. Uh, but perhaps, you know, perhaps I'd be near uni, uh, walking to Redford Station, get a flyer. Or maybe in the city, uh, on George Street in the cinemas, going perhaps to meet uh, my wife, Sean. Uh, to catch a movie or something. Of course, she wasn't my wife back then. We, we were kind of just going out. Um, oh yeah, and I should tell you, we did actually meet through the EU. Um, and annual conference did play a <laughs> role in our relationship. So, you can register for annual conference as a contact table at RCC afterwards. I'll leave that with you and say no more about that. Oh yeah, perhaps I'd be walking down a city street, just kind of anticipating the coming meeting, um, kind of eyes straining forward, wondering if she's there, waiting for me. Um, but all I'd see was a paid leaflet. You know, they're, they're hard to miss, actually. You can spot them from a mile off. Uh, kind of just standing there with that sort of, I'd rather be anywhere else, doing anything else, expression on their face. Uh, handing out leaflets. So, uh, I'll be thinking, well, what, what do I do? 
to take or not to take? That is the question at this point. Meanwhile, the Lutheran is just standing there. I'm having this mini existential crisis <laughs> to take or not to take. Um, I usually decide to take, by the way. Um, but the leaflet is just standing there, you know, just going through the motions, handing out leaflets, not really caring who takes one or who doesn't. Because for him it's just a job. He's there to hand out leaflets, he's watching the clock, waiting for the ship to end, waiting for the pile of leaflets to disappear so he can get out of there, take his money and get out of there. For him it's just dreary duty. The pay to leave But charity volunteers, charity, charity volunteers, oh, this isn't a charity volunteer. <laughs> we'll get to him. Uh, charity volunteers are a different breed altogether. Uh, last Tuesday, as I was walking to uni, uh, I was coming from Glebe, so I was walking through Victoria Park. Well, as I came up to, you know, the stairs that go up. Um, to the pathway that leads up to the clock tower of the main court. Uh, I was coming up to those stairs and I saw him. Unmistakable. A charity volunteer. You know, they're kind of uh, young and funky, you know, mid-twenties, maybe early twenties. Um, you know, a lot like, well, Hugh Chilton here. <laughs> you know, you're not a charity volunteer. Not like you <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, kind of with the, the t-shirt with the logo on it, but in the, the cool kind of uh, long sleeve t-shirt underneath, um, the ID badge, and of course that essential tool of trade, the clipboard. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm never quite sure what to do in these situations. Uh, you, know, you feel kind of bad, you want to get away from charity. So, but I was in a bit of a rush, because uh, I had to get to the public meeting, it was approaching one o'clock. So I'm just hoping that this guy is going to look past me to the guy behind me. But, as I get closer, well, he's, he's looking right at me, he's into his greeting, and before I know it, I'm there talking with him, he's telling me about these guys, Western pygmy possums, uh, which are endangered. Uh, and before I know it, I'm, I'm kind of drawn in to his concern for endangered Australian wildlife, because he's from a bush heritage Australia. Uh, and I'm kind of drawn in and captured by his love for these animals. He's, there's not a hint of dreary duty here. He's committed, he's passionate, and he's more than a little bit persuasive. He obviously loves the wildlife he's trying to protect. The charity volunteer. And when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to your relationship with God, are you more like the paid leafleter or the charity volunteer? When it comes to the Christian life, to your relationship with God, are you handing out leaflets for Mother's Kitchen or signing up people to Bush Heritage Australia? When it comes to the Christian life, to your relationship with God, are you motivated more by duty or love? Psalm 116. 
I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, All men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfil my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfil my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. The very first word in this song, this song of thanksgiving, is love. An expression of love for the Lord, for the God who heard his cry for mercy, uttered in the midst of great distress and saved I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Now it's an unusual beginning in the Psalms, almost unique in the Psalms, almost unique in the Old Testament. It's an arresting beginning. I love the Lord. It's unashamedly personal, strikingly direct, and uh, emphatically emotional. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. And that's the essence of this psalm. It's this heartfelt expression of love for the God who heard his cry for mercy and saved him. So we could at this point just go home. Um, it'll be the shortest EU public meeting ever, I think. But actually the psalmist has more to say here. And I hope, I pray, that as we explore the memories of his distress and feel his pain, 
as we recall with him memories of God's gracious salvation and feel his gratitude. As we consider his love expressed in grateful service and public praise and feel his resolve. I hope that for us who are Christians here today, our love for God will be quickened too as we remember how great a salvation we've experienced in the Lord Jesus. But maybe, maybe for others of you, others of us here, today might be the day that you call on God for mercy. Perhaps even today for the first time. Well, after verses 1 and 2, this introductory summary, verses 3 to 11 recall the psalmist's distress and God's gracious salvation. Uh, then after that, verse 12 is kind of like a hinge, if you like, which the whole psalm turns on, uh, moving the song from distress and salvation into response to God. So first, we'll look at distress and salvation. Here, vivid memories of the past haunt the psalmist. It's almost as if he's back there in the thick of it as he recalls his desperate need. Verse 3. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. And in the midst of this, this fear and anguish, a cry pierced the darkness. A desperate cry for help. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. And God saved. Verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. God saved him. God, sovereignly gracious, boundlessly righteous, overflowing with compassion, hears the cries of the helpless and saves them. God heard the cry of this helpless one and saved him. And so now his soul the psalmist's soul, once gripped by fear and anguish, rests now in peace. So now his feet, which once stumbled on the snares of death and distress, now his feet fall firmly on the land of the living, all because of God's goodness to him. But it wasn't just death that God saved him from. There was intense emotional anguish as well. So in verse 3, I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Verse 8, For you, O Lord, have delivered my eyes from tears. In verses 10 and 11, we get a hint, a glimpse of uh, what was causing this emotional anguish. And we see that the psalmist's intense battle to trust God in the midst of this emotional anguish. Verse 10. I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my dismay I said, 
all men are liars. In, in intense emotional anguish, I'm greatly afflicted, reeling from the sharp sting of personal betrayal. Everyone's a liar. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that sharp sting of personal betrayal? Maybe you're feeling it even right now. A friend. At least I thought, thought she was my friend. A friend who, someone you trusted, who's let you down just when you needed the most. In intense emotional anguish, reeling from the sharp sting of personal betrayal, the psalmist says, I believe, I trust you, God. And so I cry out to you. Even in the midst of my pain, my affliction, my distress, I believe, I trust you. So I cry out to you and you save me. Distress and salvation. Now there was one who felt the sharp sting of personal betrayal delivered by a kiss. A kiss which marked him for death. There was one who encountered trouble and sorrow, who was severely afflicted, whose feet stumbled under the heavy burden of a cruel wooden cross. There was one whom the cords of death entangled. As nailed to that cross, he took his last breath and gave up his spirit. And it's no accident then that the Apostle Peter, in chapter two, on the day, in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, as he tells his fellow Israelites about Jesus' triumphant resurrection from death, it's no accident then that Peter alludes to Psalm 116, verse three of Psalm 116, talking of Jesus' resurrection. Acts 2:22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God freed Jesus from the agony of death. That's the allusion there to Psalm 116, verse 3. God saved Jesus from the agony of death, not by rescuing him from death, as he did the psalmist, but by raising him from death. See, for Jesus, the cords of death which entangled him, the anguish of the grave. He was freed from them when God raised him from the dead. He was freed from the pain and agony of the place of the dead, the grave, the place where God's justice is done and we receive the just punishment for our disobedience of him. For Jesus, the entangling cords of death were overcome, conquered, ended, by his resurrection. God raised him up, freeing him from the agony of death, freeing all who trust in him 
from the agony of death. Well, is this your memory? Is your memory of distress? The distress of the death, of disobedience of God. The fear, the anguish of, of death as God's judgment for our disobedience. Is that your memory? Again, also, the glorious salvation of God that in Jesus, in Jesus' triumphant resurrection, God's ended the, the agony of death, the fear of the grave. For Jesus and for all who trust in him. Is that your memory too? Or do you, perhaps even here today, do you need to cry out to God for mercy for the first time? Do you need to acknowledge your distress, your disobedience of God, which we're all guilty of? Do you need to cry out to God for his mercy and experience his salvation? Trusting that he's ended the agony of death through Jesus' triumphant resurrection. Distress and salvation. Well, moving back to the psalm. As he recalls his intense distress, as he remembers God's goodness to him in salvation, the psalmist is, is troubled in verse 12. How can I repay the Lord all the good he has done? See, God's goodness here, which back in verse 7 actually led to peace and rest and harmony, here in verse 12 it creates tension. How could I ever repay God for his goodness to me? How could I ever respond adequately to the God who saved me from death? Well, he says, in grateful service and public praise. That's his response to God. Verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfil my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am a servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts and the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. His response is grateful service and public praise. That's his response to the God who saved him from his distress. Grateful service and public praise. That's how he expresses his love for the Lord who heard his cry for mercy. It's grateful service. Now the psalmist is acutely aware of his identity as God's servant. That's his core identity. Verse 16. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You freed me from my chains. See, this identity is loyal submissive identity to God is underlined here by the repetition. I'm your servant, the son of your female servant. But a little ironically here, the psalmist becomes God's servant uh, when God frees him from his chains, frees him for service to God. 
For in God's service, that's where we find perfect freedom. Now, for the psalmist, an Israelite, one of God's Old Testament people, uh, his service, his uh, sacrifice, uh, involved offering a thanksgiving offering in the temple uh, in Jerusalem, the religious centre of Israel. So, uh, the cup of salvation, as mentioned in verse 13, that was probably the drink offering uh, of wine or some other fermented drink that accompanied burnt offerings. Uh, you can read about that in Numbers 15, where it's described, Numbers 15. Uh, and he mentions a thank offering, which would have been a burnt offering, in verse 17 as well. So, the psalmists will respond with a thanksgiving offering, showing his gratitude to all God's people for God's salvation. But do know that it happens in public, in the presence of all God's people. It's public praise. Verses 14 and 18, the chorus that comes out there. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And he continues in verse 19. In the courts of the house of the Lord, that's the temple, in your midst, O Jerusalem. See, the sacrifice that he vowed to give uh, in his distress, in response to God's salvation, that happens in the presence of all God's people. They're there to witness his thankful gratitude to the God who saved him. But look a little more closely even at the way that these sacrifices are described in verses 13 and 17. I'll take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And verse 17, I'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. So this second repeated phrase, call on the name of the Lord, echoes verse 4. Then I call on the name of the Lord. But while there, in verse 4, it was a, a cry for help, a cry for salvation, here it's an expression of grateful praise to the God who has saved him. Grateful public praise, in the presence of all God's people. Now, I'd love to see and hear Rowan Kemp sing Trollalol <laughs> at public meetings. I really would. I'd love to hear Megan Wannan or Megancon Wanancon, as she wants to be known right now. I'd love to hear her, oh, and you as well, and, and Richard, singing Destiny's Child. Publicly, that will be. There's something you know, strangely appealing about seeing your boss do ridiculous things. I'd love to see that. So do change your Facebook profile pictures, please. I didn't mind this morning. But how much more appealing? How much more significant? How much more inspiring? Is 200 EUs times three publicly 600 EUs? Proclaiming God's praises for saving us. How much more significant would that be? Sharing what God's done for us with one another. Praising God and telling one another how God heard our cry for mercy and saved us. Because that's the response to the God who saves. Grateful service and public praise. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. 
Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Has God heard your cry for mercy? Has God heard you cry out in distress? Has God turned his ear to your cries and saved you? Will you love him then? Will your love for God fuel a life of grateful service, public praise? I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live.